Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Internet Marketing Unleashed. I'm your host, Scott Patton, and joining us um, today is a very, very special guest, a great friend of mine. I've known him for over a decade, if you can believe it. Um, his name's Dan Diff. Hey, Dan, how you doing? Pretty good. I'm, <laughs> I was just realizing like it's been over 12 years since we were working, over 10 years, maybe 12 years since we were 12... Yeah, 10 to 12 years since we worked at the Internet Marketing Center together. Yeah, no, it's been quite a while. And uh, a great ride since, too. Lots of exciting things going on. Absolutely. Uh, one of the most exciting things is uh, this time of year, Apple has its uh, big developers conference. And uh, they came out with a new operating system called uh, Yosemite and iOS 8, respectively. And uh, it, one of the things that was really interesting to me was that 89% of iOS users, which basically means someone who has an iPhone or an iPad or an iPod, are using the latest version of the operating system. But if you look at Android, it's 9%. And over a third of Android phone users or tablet users are running a version from four years ago. So we know in Internet time, that's like the Dark Ages or biblical times. <laughs> you know, that's a long time. And you've got security issues that are happening and all those sort of things. And uh, so it strikes me that there's a big difference between uh the kind of the Mac crowd and the Android crowd. And one of the questions I have for you, is that something that Apple has developed or is it just, you know, kind of happened haphazardly? It could have been the other way around, just happened to be this way by chance. You know, I I personally, I think that, um, I don't think that Apple actually started off um, thinking of themselves as a movement, um, or thinking of themselves as a, uh, what's the words I want to use? Um, thinking of themselves as a, you know, cult of Mac, like the website call, uh, calls itself. I don't think they started off with the plan of doing that, mm -hmm. but I think when they initially launched those ads and they had uh, Chayat Day, the ad agency, create those famous words, you know, because the people who think they can change the world are the ones who often do, when they right. realized they were the people who are the round pegs in the square holes, the uh, people who think differently. Um, you know, when they went after those, uh, the designers and the artists of the world, which is one of the reasons that they, you know, acquired uh, Beats recently, it's because, you know, they, they firmly believe that music is a part of their culture. You hear Tim, uh, you know, uh, Tim at uh, Apple there constantly reference culture. It's a part of our culture. Yes. They have this idea that they've been shaping a culture for a long time. But I disagree. I don't think they're shaping a culture at all. I think they're shaping a religion. But I don't want to call it that in the sense of no, there's no spiritual aspect. It doesn't have a, you know, an after you die, this is what happens kind of element to it. There's no, but the rest of it in terms of there's emotional experience, there's, there's sacred words, there's, you know, certain actions, there's, there's things about it where you become so wrapped up in it that people are addicted to the the UI experience that you get when you use Apple products. They're they're addicted to 
you know, the quality levels that they see, you know, in the materials, you know, mm-hmm. that they're built with. I think that, I think they're really, uh, they've become accustomed to, um, you know, that there's also an air of secrecy, right? That, you know, we only get to find out these things on a stage when they're presented in a special way, you know, um, and, you know, yes. Steve Jobs, I mean, he even had certain ways of presenting that were, you know, um, that created emotional experiences. He actually used to intentionally inject a blank, uh, a blank slide now and again to draw the attention back to himself. And we see Tim Cook doing the same thing. You know, there's these things that they do to sort of, you know, present things to us in a certain way that, you know, I mean, you could call it selling it to you. You could call it, uh, you know, sort of indoctrinating you into, you know, and we believe this and we think this and, you know, and we expect that our users are going to think this and, and everybody does, you know. Right. So, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, they are trying to create a certain type of culture. And uh, I think that, you know, when Android releases a new version, first of all, they don't have um, every single supplier, every manufacturer um, on board when they do that, uh, which Apple usually does. They first they announce it to developers. They give developers time to get used to it. They psych the developers up and tell them how great it is. Mm-hmm. Then four months later, okay, now we're launching this operating system, and they've got you know the hardware manufacturers and the developers all on board, and uh, and they go with it. Whereas with Android, I mean, they never even uh, get you know full market adoption or programmer adoption or manufacturer adoption before they just go ahead and do it. You're right, because uh, that was one of the comments that came out of the developers' conference was, here, here's everything that we've developed, here's the new this, the new that, the beta this, the beta that. Um, you know, We're not going to really roll it out and update everything for three months, uh, but you can get in here and you can play with all this stuff. So, of course, three months later, when we start seeing all these updates coming through, um, the developers are are all on board. Mm-hmm. Cool. So how do you, how do you develop this cult like following? Because I know one of the areas that you really focus on, Dan, is email marketing and newsletters and using the inbox to communicate with uh, your prospective clients and your customers. Uh, and it's really important, of course, to get people to open those emails. And one of the most difficult things is getting people to open those emails. Uh, so what are some of the things you see Apple doing that people could apply to their businesses? Well, you see, really, I mean, what do you think about it? Um, other than creating, whether you want to call it a culture or whether you want to call it, you know, cult for short, yeah. <laughs> T-U-R-E, or whether you want to call it a religion or whatever, that the thing is that you have to find a way to increase the priority level of, uh, of you in the consumer's mind. I think Apple's done a fantastic job of that in the sense that as soon as our minds and our eyes see Apple in the news, you instantly go, oh, what's that? And you want to know what it is. Mm-hmm. I even know Android lovers that listen to the latest Apple announcements, right? Because they want to know. And so, you know, I specif- um, I've been specializing in email lately. And one of the challenges we have with email is that even if you have the right email technology, even if you have the right message in an exciting subject line, even if the content gets past the spam filters, your list management's working, your you know customers are even opening the emails regularly, they've added you to their address book, at the end of the day, if the priority level isn't really high, if they're not 
addicted or excited about everything you put out, you know, there's st you're still not going to reach maximum open rates every time you mail. Now, with Apple, I mean, you know, when they finally do announce something, you know, we're all over that because we want to hear about it so badly. It actually cuts their marketing expenses down dramatically just by simply doing a few key things. So, I mean, that big question, you know, how do you increase your priority level? The first thing, I mean, I've actually boiled it down to a, a couple of things, but I think everybody has a tribe. There's everybody has this core audience that, you know, that would listen to you if they knew you were out there. Right. Um, and so, you know, Seth Godin says, you know, Bob Marley didn't invent Rastafarians. You know, uh, what do they call it? The Beatles didn't invent teenagers. Your audience <laughs> has always been out there, and they've always been waiting. In fact, when I'm coaching, I tell people all the time, you know, who's hurting right now by not having the information you have in your head? Who out there, um, you know, is literally like, you know, clawing at dirt trying to get an answer, and because you haven't finished launching your book, they can't get one. Because the truth is that someone out there needs what you have. And so once you figure out who that tribe is, um, you know, then you can obviously, you know, speak those sacred words to them. Um, you know, and every culture sort of has those, uh, you know, those words. Like, you know, uh, us computer nerds know what a BSOD is, right? Um, a blues <laughs> to death. Yeah, right. You know, truck drivers know what a rubbernecker is, right? Somebody <laughs> stops and stares at accidents. Us Mac guys are happy to say we don't see the blue screen of death very often. No, but we're also <laughs> not excited when we see a beach ball, am I right? That's right. Because <laughs> when we see that thing spinning away, we're like, yeah, oh, yeah. Is so that what that is? Is that a beach ball? That's what the Mac users call it. It's not okay. actually officially called that. But yeah, I know what it looks like one, so everybody calls it that. Bummer. But if yeah. you ever get stuck and you're trying to figure out, you know, an error on a Mac or a frozen screen on a Mac, if you Google Beach Ball, you'll see Mac all over the place. <laughs> you know. Anyway, so so there's these core pieces to, you know, creating this culture, if you want to call it that. Um, you know, there's certain rituals. Like maybe it's that, you know, upgrading your phone annually. You know, maybe it's listening to motivational t tapes in your car if you're a, you know, Tony Robbins uh, kind of guy. You know, maybe it's uh, having certain common ethics, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, like putting the stickers all over your, you know, vehicle or something that have a little Apple logo. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyway, so the first thing I do usually is I try and identify what that group is. The second thing is that there's always those sacred stories. Like we all know the Apple one, you know, um, because the ones who believe they can change the world are the ones who often do. But... You know, even Bombardier, the famous, uh, the first people to ever invent a snowmobile, um, had that story about how the creation, creator had actually um, had a child pass away because they couldn't get to a hospital because of a huge snowstorm. So he resolved, being a mechanic, to invent something that could actually get across the snow to a, uh, to a hospital. Hmm. Tom's shoes, I mean, we all know that you know, classic, uh, they have this one-for-one -one thing where you buy a pair of shoes and you're actually buying one for someone else out there in the world somewhere too. And so, uh, you know, they have that story. I mean, people actually buy that story. Um, and so every brand that really takes advantage of this, this strategy has sacred stories, right? So, I mean, the sacred story of the whole Tom Shoes thing is so powerful that one day Blake Mykoski was in an airport and, uh, you know, he didn't really look like himself. He hadn't shaved or whatever. But 
he uh, he saw a girl wearing these shoes, the Tom shoes, and so he he said to her, "Hey, nice shoes," and she uh, turns around and says, "Thanks, they're Tom's." And uh, you know, and, and Blake keeps walking. He's the owner of the company, and the girl says, "No, you don't get it. They're Tom's." And he said, "That's nice," and he keeps walking. And finally, the girl grabs him by the shirt collar and says, "You don't get it." These are Tom's shoes. That means somebody else out there in the world got a pair of shoes because I bought these. And, you know, it, it's just, to me, that's, that's somebody has officially bought the story, right? Right. They're indoctrinated into that. In a good way. Right, exactly. Because, I mean, ultimately that story that these people are buying, first of all, it's a true story. And, you know, it actually is helping the world in some small way. And same thing with the whole changing the world thing i mean you know there was a time when if somebody had said you know everybody in the world will buy songs for a dollar a piece and every music seller will agree everybody would have said that's you know a pile of horse cookies right yeah not gonna happen in our lifetime (coughs) but somebody believed it would and it did and so um that's kind of that you know so one of the challenges for your clients and for everyone in in business is what is our story right and so i mean because yeah. that really motivates – it motivates the owner, it motivates the staff, and it mo- obviously in the case of this lady with the Toms, it motivates the customer. Right. And so your story, I mean the crazy part is it doesn't have to be some feel-good thing. You know, it doesn't have to uh, you know, resonate you know, quite that crazy. But, I mean, it helps to have that. I mean, you know, I sat down the other day with a guy who's starting a social network for athletes – and, uh, you know, he's got this crazy story of being a young kid in Winnipeg who was, you know, um, you know, struggling and, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, uh, how to play baseball in an area that no, not a lot of people played baseball. And so he was practicing against a brick wall, nobody else there to help him or teach him or nothing. And, you know, had to pay lots of money for trainers and there was no internet back then. So he's creating something that's going to connect people with athletes and professionals and trainers and such. And that story he has of that, you know, being that young kid that, you know, practiced against a brick wall. I mean, you know, uh, Brian actually went on to play for the Seattle Mariners for a few years before suffering an injury. So he has that story of, you know, that, what do they call it, uh, dirt to riches kind of story that everybody mm-hmm. loves to hear. Sure. But every business has that story. And if they don't have their story, they have the story of their customer. And they have the story of who's going to, you know, pick up that book on podcasting and change the world with that, you know, still small voice that they put onto a microphone off over the internet because they listened to the famous Scott Patton one day. <laughs> and everybody has that, you know, that story of their customer who one day bought a bottle of supplements and changed their world by having a little bit more energy or clearer complexion or something, you know. And and the fact is that as soon as we remind customers of that sort of emotional connection to our products, that emotional connection that we can't even explain when we look at an iPhone, mm-hmm. or we can't even explain when we look at a, you know, at a device. That's the uh, the connection that uh, that you try and create. Cool. So how do we communicate that story in a way that uh, causes it to, to uh, resonate with people or to stick? Because I know there are some stories that just, you know, they're great stories, but you never hear them. And then there's others that all of a sudden it's like they're on everybody's lips. 
Right. So, I mean, the way we create that story is, like I said, we identify the passionate group, we find the sacred story and tie it to some kind of a why, and then we find the sacred words, emotions, and rituals that these folks already have, and we try and communicate those. But, I mean, for me, it's, you know, I mean, there's a number of different ways to do it, but I've done it in ways where we run banner ads to uh, a specific target audience on Facebook, uh, in the news feed. I've done it in ways where we use the welcome message in an email so that the first thing they read is that, um, you know, that um, that welcome, you know, welcome to the fill-in-the-blank family. Uh, sure, here some sure. of the things that we hold dear. Here are the things that we really care about. Um, you know, they're they're kind of like, this is that, you know, chance to, when you welcome somebody to the family, to kind of let them know, this is where we came from, or this is who we're aiming for, this is here, who we're here to help, or this is what we believe behind the product, or, or whatever. Wonderful. Cool. So, do you also get into, do you call this like relationship management? Yes, yes, that's, that's one of the sort of phrases for it, for sure. Um, I don't actually have a, like, I mean, I've got a, article on my website called uh, Creating Your Own Religion. I have a, an article on the same topic that's you know in my book called Creating Addictive Content. Really, I mean, it's just a content strategy for connecting with people. Um, but, I mean, it also kind of drips down into every aspect of the business. And just doing this one really simple thing, which is, I mean, you don't have to think about it as, you know, as quite a religion of sorts or it's really just all about speaking to your target audience in a way that's going to resonate with them. Mm-hmm. But using this, this way of thinking allows you to really come up with some awesome stuff that you might not think about unless you thought about it this way. I mean, as soon as we think about it as a tribe and we think about it as having these belief systems and sacred words and stuff, we instantly know that beer drinkers have that, that cooking fanatics have it, that IT specialists have it, that marketers do that. Gardeners have their own special wording, 4 by 4 enthusiasts. I mean, even uh, people who ski have this language called skibonics, which has its entire set of words that nobody else would understand. You reminded me of 30-odd, 40 years ago when I was working in a grocery store, and uh, I was the boss, of course, and I'm on the, the sales floor, and I'm talking to a couple of my staff, and, you know, in about three or four minutes – gave them the directions, off they went. And one of my customers happened to be standing like right there, and she turns to me and she says, you know, I heard every word you said. I understood every word you said, but I had no clue what you were telling those people because, of course, we used the words in a way that was not familiar to her, right? So, of course, you know, even the grocery stores have their own language, which... Uh, just makes everything communicate that much easier and better within that ecosystem. Right, and that makes sense. I mean, that's that's why I tell people like you know you can't sell things to lawyers in a you know uh, in overalls, and you can't sell things to uh, to farmers in a three piece suit and tie. Sure, you know, that's and right. so, and that's why if you if you don't speak to your target audience, like you know, like Barb Marley speaking to the Rastafarians, lots of these people, you know, these artists and authors and companies often stumble into their target audience by accident. They go off, you know, selling their left-handed golf clubs and before they know it, they realize all the left-handers are artists and 
you know, uh, this and that. three years yeah. into their business, they start changing all the packaging to reflect the people buying it. Mm-hmm. But what if you actually thought about it from the beginning and found out who your audience was? How much more successful could you be if every single time you, you know, put something out there, it instantly resonated with 80% of your target audience instead of, you know, a small chunk of it? And that's really the way I, the way I see it is if we, I mean, we're always going to have those out, those really odd cl- customers where you go, wow, you're, you're not a, a lawyer. Why did you buy this? Or, you know, yes. you're not an internet marketer. There's always exceptions. You know, but the cool thing is, like, that's the coolest part about the whole Apple story is, I mean, who buys Apple products in real life? I mean, honestly, I've seen mechanics with grizzly feet and hands. Yep. Yes. We're using these things. I mean, you know, dirty yep. hands from working on a car. I've seen, like, lawyers and doctors using them. But, you know, the funny thing is they started off by saying we are the misfits. So how did they get all these celebrities in, using these stupid things when celebrities are far from misfits? In, in, fact, uh, quite, in, <laughs> yeah, in well, your mind, maybe in their mind, they're very misfits. Right. But that, this is the cool part about creating an ideal culture is that you're not excluding the world when you do that. Right. When you shoot for this really narrow market, that doesn't mean that you're going to have less sales. What it means is that you're going to define the brand. You're going to define the the emotions behind the brand. Are we a really happy company? Are we a really serious company? Are we a really fun company? Like, Once you define that brand and you define the message and you define the culture that you're trying to create, I mean like a whole bunch of other things fall into place in terms of content design, whereas before you would have this big question mark of what kind of video we're going to do, what kind of email will we send. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, all that becomes crystal clear when you go, we email lawyers. Oh, we you know, we email beer fanatics. Oh, we email okay. misfits. Yeah, we email misfits. Okay, great. Yeah. Now we can easily email, you know, or now we can figure out exactly who we're talking to. Now we know we can talk in Skibonics. Now we know we can talk to IT people and talk about blue screen of death or, you know, uh, talk right. about Pep, PebCAC if you know what that is, you know. Well, I think you I think you made a really really good point. I want to emphasize the point because I get that all the time. I'll talk to people and their their business what they want to do in startup or what their business is 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 way too broad. I say no no, we need to focus in. But they say we've got all these other people that we're going to miss. And the answer is no. You're not going to miss them. The thing is is when you focus and focus and you really get into your core tribe, there are the people on the outer edges of the tribe who may actually really be keen to become part of your particular tribe um, as as they learn more and more about it. And, and I think that's one of the areas that people really have a hard time understanding where it's like if – I, I explain it as, an, as cutting wood. You know, you have an axe and you sharpen the axe and it's the point of the axe that causes, you know, you to be successful eventually – um, you could have a bigger um, hammer, so to speak, but it's not going to be doing. It's not going to get you the success you want if what you want is kindling and wood for your fire, right? So uh, I think that's a, just an amazing uh, way of putting that particular point. Is is you know focus on your group, focus on your tribe, be very clear on who it is. And be open to everybody else joining you, as opposed to trying to go around and get all those people to, uh, you know, sort, you know, chase the people. They come to you because it's like, oh no, this is, I'm a misfit, so I'm going to get one of these, uh, and that's kind of the way it goes. Exactly. I mean, you know, 
what's his name there? Uh, Jim Collins often talks about, you know, in the terms of all the things you need to know to be successful, that uh, in terms of leadership that, you know, the number one first thing everybody often does is they get everybody on the bus. And, you know, and then they try and figure out, uh, you know, and then they auto automatically start taking it in a certain direction without getting all the, you know, people, everybody on the bus might not want to go there. The bottom line is that, you know, if you start off by saying, all right, now our bus is going this way, who's on board? You get a totally different, you know, uh, set of events happening. You get a totally awesome outcome out of the deal um, when you tell, you know, you basically define who your tribe's going to be. You may have a small amount of drop-off, but, yeah. I mean... But you're going to get a lot more of the other people as well. It works. But you're going to get passionate people. I mean, you're going to get those lineups in front of your business on 8 a.m. morning when you're launching that product compared to a business that goes, we're everything to everybody. And is are people going to line up at the front door to be everything to everybody? No. No. So, cool. so Dan, we're running out of time. But before we go, you said two things that I wanted to quickly follow up on. One was uh, you had these blog posts and we need to uh, we want to read them so where are they and the second is you're the author of a book so what's the book and how can people get a copy of it well right now the uh the book is sort of uh what do they call it uh in sort of a pre-launch but it is e available at emaildeliverabilitybook.com um and people can get it there if they wanted to um haven't finished fully writing out the copy but it's still you know, I mean, all the details of what you get are in there. Um, and I believe the the blog post about the whole creating a religion and talks about sort of some of the different elements behind that is on my AnswersWanted.com site. But, right. uh, but yeah, I know there's a – that obviously people can have completely free. They can read it and study it and uh, find out all the different uh, individual pieces there. Um, and cool. I just sent – I sent you uh, as well, Scott, Scott a uh, – Word doc, which covers all the in intricate little pieces of the whole idea and how it works and such. Great. So I can make that available to our listeners? You certainly can. You can put it up uh, along with the, uh, the podcast or link it wherever you want to put it or put it up wherever you want to put it up. I'm totally cool with sharing it with anyone. Wonderful. Well, Dan, thanks for taking time out of your busy day to join us and uh, share this information about valuable information about creating a cult-like following particularly using email and uh, if you go to the mypodcastworld.com uh, site for our podcast I'll have a link to that uh, a PDF of that document for you to uh, to read as well so thank you Dan uh, any last words before we sign off uh, not really <laughs> all right thanks for joining us everybody we'll see you next time bye bye bye